Fuck pain. Fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Dows Podcast. Tonight, we knew it was coming, Daniele gets fired up today, and many opinions are shared. In 10 years, our culture went from positive, curious, and excited about life to spewing venom and anger online. Joe Rogan, from Bernie Sanders to the right wing? Jordan Peterson, like someone on meth on the street corner. If everything is so great, why is everyone so miserable? Are you not entertained? And now, asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches, and prepare to open your mind. For the Drunken Dows Podcast begins now. Welcome back, everybody. Another fine episode of the Drunken Dows Podcast, episode 213. Another incredibly lovely February day here in Ojai. Daniele Bellelli in a very cool Bruce Lee shirt. Sent by the sweet Shannon Lee. Oh. oh sent me this t-shirt with bruce it's a photoshop of bruce lee and Mohammed ali facing off wouldn't that be awesome yeah she was so sweet i got this package for no good reason i had no idea and there was a ton of bruce lee merchandise that she sent just because she's nice well that's always the best kind of things unexpected and doesn't have to be super valuable just yeah. sweet and she, she had to know that you were going to love that yeah 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 that was adorable a night of greatest yeah Greatest yeah, versus the dragon. One. Oh my yeah. God, that's awesome. Oh, and since we're talking about things I've received, uh, Ulysses Bella from Ozomatli, who's an awesome oh. human being, gave me his, uh, it's Ghetto Dojo Jiu Jitsu. Because uh, <laughs> uh, they had these raggedy ass mats that they put in his backyard to roll with his friends. And so they made the logo and this Ghetto Dojo Jiu Jitsu. I, I love, love it. everything about that. Yes. Uh, I'm a huge fan, both of him as a person, his music, and Ghetto Dojo. So a heavy episode today because we're just trying to get into some solutions for our troubles. But in the moment, a lovely day. Yes, indeed. The weather is great. Yeah, Everybody today seems to be pretty good. Today, it's Daniela gets fired up day. Yes. So should be interesting. Hopefully, you're entertained by people being wildly passionate in semi-English with an Italian accent. I think they're gonna like it. So, shall we say some thanks? Absolutely. Let's say thank you to, uh, of course, Assure Design T-shirts that have been in our corner for so long, and they make some of the most, like 80% of the T-shirts I have are probably Assure Design. Yep. Grasslandbeef.com, that, you know, their products are incredible. If you do eat uh, animal products, that's the way to go, because they have some of really phenomenal quality. So check them out. Deliver straight to your door rather than go through the grocery store. Check out grasslandbeef.com. Love them. Uh, shout out to uh, robotanics.com for the CBD. Do you have a chance to sample with it? Yeah, yeah. I've, yeah. I've, been, using the, I've been using the Revive, and Gretchen's been using the Sleep, and both of us think it's fantastic. Excellent. I love to hear that. So if you guys uh, dig CBD, check out robotanics.com for their products. Uh, there's also a suite, a roll-on for kind of muscle pain and stuff like that. I like that one a bunch. Uh, thank you also to zebraathletics.com for the wonderful mats sitting in my garage providing for my homemade dojo. Don't thank let the, you. Don't let the ghetto jo- dojo guys know about that. Though. Right? It's like, that's... Uh, <laughs> Yes, uh, I will keep my mouth shut. No, actually, he came to a roll one day on that. But the, um, thank you to folks keeping the drunk in the drunk and Taoist with Aum Cellars and MateraWines.com, both very high-end wines. If you are into that sort of thing, they I personally love them. They're really, I don't know, man, it's like it's funny when I drink Alcohol can be so bad for so many people. For me, drinking wine, it just makes me happy. You know, I just get nicer. I want to hug everybody. I get clearly, you know, moderation is key, but it's, uh, 
I love it. Do you have different reactions to different spirits? Because around my house, Rich isn't allowed to have vodka. Really? Vodka is the bad one. Yeah. Yeah. And so I removed it from my lifestyle and changed everything. It's a good idea. I forgot to mention, because uh, this is a new thing, since uh, we are talking about grassland beef and uh, stuff that you can put on food, particularly steaks and so on, I received uh, a little gift from Occult... How the hell is it spelled? OccultHerbsAndTonics.com Again, maybe you can say it in English, unlike my pronunciation. Is it O-C-C-U-L-T, Occult? That is correct. Ooh. HerbsAndTonics.com OccultHerbsAndTonics.com the packaging is hilarious because they have all these uh, like uh, shamanic slash. It's pretty funny. The they create this herb mix, anything from uh, kind of Italian herbs to stuff that you can put on your steak. To they the, the ones I've tried so far, they are amazing. Isabella is a huge fan. Savannah is a huge fan. I'm a huge fan. So shout out to these guys. Uh, so if you are in the market for such things, check out their website. Well, of course, if you use, if you buy on Amazon, please use your Amazon link. That's dbamazing.com. Again, dbamazing.com. Get us a little cut. And let's say thank you to the sweet folks donating to the show. Absolutely. Let the pottering begin. Thank you to Yanni Linnima, Luis Pesquera, Jesse Rantakanga, Saron Weisner, Austin Steelwell, Jonathan Waterloo, Clayton Payne, Stephen McKee, Robert Primos, Frederick Hahn, Sean Kavanagh, Aistis Juska, Thomas Robinson, John Vergara, Lisa Robles, Nick Zunik. Familiar names, one and all. Yeah, you guys are all my heroes. Thank you so much for supporting us. We deeply, deeply appreciate it. So... Cool. Anything else we need to jump on or we get the ball rolling? Here we go. Let's go. Okay, my man, I would say we are out to make friends today. We're going to say things that everybody's going to love on the left, on the right, in the center. This um, is it. Yes. And we are going to get them, everybody to shake hands and sing Kumbaya around the fire. Well, you do realize that the Andromeda Galaxy is on its way on a collision course with the Milky Way. So this should be the opportunity for folks to join together. That's on Dominos. And real, well, you know. It's four or five billion years away, but... Okay, fair enough. But the amazing thing is, no stars will probably interact at all, other than gravitationally. Just because of the sheer scale of everything. There's 300 billion stars in the Milky Way. There's a trillion in Andromeda, and they already locked onto each other gravitationally. But the distance from stars is so amazing. They still miss each other by so much. The chance of a collision is almost impossible. They will flurl each other by the millions into interstellar space gravitationally. What do you make of the... um, And I swear that I'm going to go in a different direction, but this intrigues me. Where do you make of the famous paradox? I think it was, was it Fermi? I, I don't the Fermi remember. Paradox? Fermi paradox? Like the whole idea. Why don't we hear anything? Yeah. It, there's so much out there in terms of space and conditions and planets and things and stuff. How the hell do we not see any sign of uh, intelligent life anywhere, <laughs> including on Earth? No, I yeah. meant. <laughs> no, that's, that's, uh, you know. It's funny. I was just reflecting on that the other day because. Yeah, there are like real big thinkers, Hawkins down to, you know, Elon Musk asked that question all the time. Why can't we hear him? Right. But the distances are so incredible. I mean, the the, the scale of our galaxy alone, just the central yeah. hub, like the swirl, the, the spiral, is 125,000 light years across. Right. Now, we've had radio going since 30s, 20s. So we have 100 years. So we're only talking about 100 light years out mm-hmm. where any signal would be reached. And that's not that far. Right. I mean, the furthest stars, I mean, the closest star is four light years. Yeah. The brightest one in the sky at night, Sirius, that's seven light years. 100 light years is not a lot of solar system. It might be 200 stars in that little. So the the distances are so incredible to begin with. Um, And then, like, the level of life, I think we're going to find life everywhere. 
that seems pretty solid. But to get to this point of civilization where we're able to transmit, that's probably a pretty rare thing. Right. And, you know, it's all about the timing, too. They may have come and gone. Right. A billion years ago. Of course. So even that signal were to get here, A, would we know what to look for? Sure, sure, sure. You know, we like to think, oh, yeah, we're listening on all frequencies, but are we really? Right. Or are we listening to something that somebody may be able to, you know, broach light speeds? Yeah, the different technology, we don't have the things to pick it up, and so it could be, and then if anybody has developed currently that kind of technology, they're took a look out here and decided, hell no, we're not visiting that place. Yeah, like the big, so with the new James Webb Telescope, that's going to be able to look like another half a billion years into the past. But what's kind of most exciting about its capacities is looking at these exoplanets that are close. Right. So these guys, um, oh, what's the word that they use? Uh, Just the the complexity. The, The complexity folks are excited about that because we'll get closer looks at these planets and we may not be able to make out any details, but what they're going to be looking for is do the colors shift? Right. Are there leaves growing of some sort? Is there some sort of thing that looks like it's a process? That's what we're looking for. Right. On a planet that would be, you know, Goldilocks zone with the right amount of heat and temperature and water to be right. But, you know, everything's going to be so different just because it worked out this way with two legs and two eyes. Sure, sure, not, sure. I mean, look at the octopus. Yeah, yeah, of course. That's just here. Yeah. So, A, we would be able to identify it. B, are we in the right position to be getting a message at this time? Because it's all so far away. Uh, my favorite little comparison at the observatory is we have a scale model of the solar system on the lawn. So the sun is the size of a marble. Right. Puts Mars's orbit about 12 feet out. It puts Neptune about, I don't know, to the edge of the parking lot. Sure. And Pluto past that. On that scale, Proxima Centauri, the closest star, would be in Las Vegas. Wow. And that's the closest one. Yeah, that's nuts. So these distances... Are insane. Are insane. Right. And we'll never be able to broach them. Gotcha. So, like, long story short, who gives a shit if we're not hearing about anybody? What yeah. does that prove or disprove? Right, right, right. Why don't we take care of our own backyard? Yeah, which uh, I guess last time we were chatting about Chris Ryan civilized to death and yep. the very concept of civilization and how may have not worked out in the best most ideal possible way. So the crazy notion is, you know, 99% of humanity's time on this planet was a wonderful, you know, hunter-gathering wasn't an easy life. No. But as far as their mindsets and how they existed and, man, yeah, it almost as, makes you jealous. Yeah, as far as the stuff that's more closely designed for human happiness, that model, despite all the harshness of some aspect of it, it still seemed to be delivering better results than the alternatives. Yeah, one of the, some things, the notions, and this was more of reflective of still existing hunting, gathering tribes, yeah. but they figure a lot of it's the same, is the interaction with children. Yeah. Like a baby doesn't go five seconds if it's fussing, someone's going to pick it up. Right. And tribally... A baby of 18 months would be touched by 12 to 14 people. Not a freaky way, you asshole. Right, yeah. Cuddled, played with, interacted with, and I think that's where all our troubles are right now. Yeah. Sitting in front of a TV screen while your mom was drunk on the couch is not going to develop anything better. No, that's a bad start right there. And if you start that way, and just the whole mindset of it, like... That baby that's touched by the community and everybody's there to help and, oh, you're hungry, let me help you... Their notion of their existence is, uh, I'm here to be loved and yeah. I'm taken care of. And of course. That mindset. And I think uh, years ago, we talked about the crying rooms in China yeah. where the babies would just give up. They wouldn't even cry anymore because they yeah, didn't yeah. do any it's good. Like it Nothing was going to change. Right. That's where our problem is. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's like, in fact, uh, one of the arguments that Chris makes very well in the book is that what we think of our political problems are a dot compared to the mountain that we are dealing with, which is kind of the very foundations of civilizations are not set up for human happiness. They are a great system for, I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, some technologies have done fantastic things for us. There are things that we get to enjoy. There's a lot of advantages, very specific ones, but in the big picture, 
none of these seem to deliver the stuff that we have lost in the process. Nope. Because at the end of the day, it's kind of the question that Chris asked, which is a brilliant question. It's like, if everything is so great, why are so many of us so miserable? You know, if this idea of progress and greater technology making things more comfortable, we could argue about the specifics, but at the end of the day, why are still most people so miserable? That clearly tells you that's not a win. There's something in that model that despite some of the fantastic things that it has created, does not deliver what we need the most, which is a satisfying life at the end of the day. Yeah, a purpose. And, uh, yeah, and I think that's... And it all goes back to the same, we've been saying for a decade, the loneliness. Yeah, I like, mean, yeah. Like in the 70s, like 5% of people lived alone. It's 25% now. So there's that, right? We are built to live in tribes. We don't. Yep. Loneliness. We are built to eat certain kind of foods. We eat mostly poisonous crap yep. that is fed to us in over-processed, highly chemical ways that are just, you know, rates of cancers are off the charts and all of that for obvious reasons because of the... So separation from the natural environment, both in terms of food we eat... Uh, air we breathe, water we drink, yeah. separation of the natural environment in the sense of all the other things that close contact with nature does for us. The exercise and lack of, you know, we are, our bodies are built to move in a certain way, not to be sitting all day long. Uh, staring at a screen. Staring at the screen, all that. There's, uh, you know, you can go down the list of all the aspects in terms of gender roles, in terms of hierarchy. You know, it's like civilization has created hierarchy that really did not exist in small-scale hunting and gathering tribes with all the associated problems that go with the class conflict and hierarchy and all of that. Yeah. And then There's, how we made a bad picture of them, that they, oh, they were these savages and you only lived till you were 30 and all those notions, all incorrect. Bullshit. Completely yeah. incorrect. Yes, it was a shorter possible life term because so many of the babies die that's mainly like it's not if you make it you yeah. probably live just as long yeah, the problem was the main downside was the infant mortality that was pretty high and um but i love the fact that i mean chris pulls no punches in that one in terms of shining a spotlight on some of the people i'm amazed actually i was I was reading some other books and I had the same experience. So many people out there win prizes, have best-selling books, uh, and are just lying through their teeth yeah. to push an argument. Chris in particular shines the spotlight on Steven Pinker. And man, I don't know much about Steven Pinker, but based on what I read, I mean, the little I heard, I was like, okay, cool, whatever. Yeah. The way Chris spells it out either he's a hundred percent wrong and chris himself has done a huge mistake or i don't know how to put it delicately but pinker is a charlatan you know they're just yeah, uh, it's bullshit. i'll give you guys the example that chris brings up to make the point pinker has the whole thing today is the best of all possible times progress is the best uh, everything is getting better constantly so in order to make an argument, he makes the argument that life before states and before civilization was terrible and evil. In order to do that, one of the things he does is he argues that hunters and gatherers, far from having these peaceful, uh, romantic images of their life, they were constantly fighting and killing each other. Yeah. So he uses some data from contemporary hunting and gathering tribes, which is a little tricky, but what, you can make the argument because we don't have that much from other sources. And then he says, you see, there are, they have these super high murder rates. And you're like, oh, shit, they have these super high murder rates. That's bad. Except that what he includes in murder rates is these tribal people being murdered by loggers who own their land and kill them. Yeah. So it's like, wait, I'm sorry. You are getting the people who are getting murdered and use those statistics to make the argument that they are violent? Yeah. What kind of a con man are you? I mean, that's just basic. Like, how do you not... How do you fuck that up if it's an honest mistake? And how do you not... Or how do you look at yourself in the mirror when you're clearly taking data and making it say the exact opposite because you want it to fit your argument? Well, that's what it is right there. He's trying to fit that argument that, oh, they're such savages and couldn't possibly survive. The, the stories that go over and over again is like everybody, even Ben Franklin early in the book says, any child that made its way out or was kidnapped at some point, 
once they were out with the, the Native Americans, they never wanted to go back yeah. to white society. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm sure it had to be similar back in these hunter-gatherer days. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Sitting here where the Chumas used to just stroll, and this would have been sort of the upland ones and hunting elk and the parties they would have in the springtime when the ones from the ocean would come and trade. And yeah, just had I think to that's be incredible. kind of what we were designed for in a lot of ways. That seemed to work for human beings. Now, there were downsides for sure, yeah. but I think in trying to escape those downsides, we ended up creating bigger problems that have spiraled out of control to the point that we have no idea how to fix them. Well, it's not fixable. And, uh, the population is just, there's too much. I mean, yeah. even at, at 500 million, the Earth could handle this. Right, right, right. But then when we're at these scale of numbers now, once again, tribally, you always had a place. Sure. You know, yep. even the, the derpy kid who wasn't the smartest one, he was probably strong. They would find a way. You didn't have to be a genius. You just had to, you know, interact and help out and do your part. Yep. And that's what people are looking for. Yeah. And I think uh, we are at a scale and a complexity where solving, finding solutions to the problem facing us is, yeah, good luck with that. Because they are so complex and so multifaceted that you can try to fix one aspect, except that there are... 227 others that you need to fix in order to really fix the problem and so it's uh maybe the ai will save it's this. a rough game the similarly by the way on the pinker thing i was reading some books that uh, pulitzer nominated journalist shit like that and like on topics that i actually do know about the, in this case was about native american life yeah these guys just blatantly making up facts like completely making them up like we should invite him on the show right is um well rogan had one of them the guy who did um empire of the summer moon that is slightly less terrible than another one um about the lakota but like completely making up facts which of course have no references because if you have to reference you have to say where you got it from and where you got it from is your fantasy because that was just made up <laughs> And that's the one guy. The Empire of the Summer book is as references. He just happened to use the Steven Pinker approach, like really bad references that don't really tell the picture, but at least there's an effort to go there. Right. But I think, and this actually leads us to a different point. Why is this stuff, like, why do we, I mean, in one of these books, for example, check this out, they speak of uh, Red Cloud, and one of the lines they use is uh, Red Cloud possessed unusual forethought for an Indian. Uh, I think that's the exact quote. I need to look at it. Except it, it, it did say unusual true. forethought. It may not say that an Indian, it may have said Native American, but the meaning was pretty precise, right? So he's essentially saying that, that guy was pretty smart for an Indian. These are Pulitzer nominated journalists published in 2000-something, right? How, how is possible that on one hand you have people who are screaming racism if somebody coughs two mile away, and on the other hand we have stuff that's blatantly racist being published and accepted like, yeah, of course, like doesn't even raise an eyebrow. Well, these are savages you're speaking of, so you can treat them any way you want to. And I think this is the problem right there, is that I think what we used as a metaphor is the the ping pong game between stupid people. <laughs> yeah. So there was a real awful racism. So rightfully, there was a backlash against it. The backlash then went a few steps too far in trying to take what was a real problem and addressing it in real ways to try to argue everybody's a racist for all the time, you know, what, if you disagree with me, that clearly shows you are a you know, it's like taking it to a place where you're screaming racism in cases where racism does not apply at all, right? Yeah. So what happens? Rather than saying, hey, racism was awful, but let's keep it within reason in terms of the, like, the problems we're addressing. Let's not make up cases of racism when there aren't. Uh, Rather than just coming to that solution of like, okay, model A was stupid, model B took it too far, let's go to model C that's non-racist and at the same time doesn't make shit up. No, let's go back to model A. The backlash is back and forth. So it's like, so in the name of the fact that, for example, for a long time, people have uh, highly 
post 1960s there has been a lot of scholarship highly romanticizing native cultures now it's in vogue again to just demonize native cultures and to present and if you say something saying like well that's bullshit is like oh wait that's because you hold on to some stereotypes about native americans and you expect them to be it's like no I'm not saying that's the mo it's that black and white mentality where it's either on one side or the other and all you got to do is show that the other side make a mistake somewhere yeah. to justify your own dogmatic bullshit that's completely misguided. Look, I caught you. I caught you. Right? It's like can't you see that those are romanticized stereotypes? Yeah, sure I do. So that means that they were vicious savages. It's like no, that that's not what it means either, you know. And uh and that's the feeling I get when I listen to most discussions that have to do with contentious topics, I do feel that it, it goes back and forth between these two models. But isn't it terrifying kind of the tipping point we're reaching right now? Yeah. Where, you know, let's go back to the 60s and the 70s where it looks like we were really making some gains. Mm -hmm. You know, Civil Rights Act was enacted, things were moving forward, and then it all kind of fell apart again. I mean, I think even we said it uh, before, like, if you just go back 10 years ago. Yeah. And uh, I see it as a case study looking at my Facebook feed. Ton of people post uh, me doing Rogan shows, requested me, all that. So I got to see the evolution of their timelines over 10 years. 2011, 2012, 13, 14, 15, mostly positive people excited about life into many things wanting to experiment with lots of ideas fast forward to 2022 and is mostly spewing venom online and yeah. anger doesn't even matter what their politics are okay it's not even about only one side doing it it's like across the board the dominant emotion then became anger and outrage and can you believe these terrible people are doing this and that they're all dug in like we were saying earlier they've they've picked their foxholes and all they're going to do is shoot at the other side they're not even going to bother to try to interact anymore yeah that what worst possible solution a situation could we find ourselves in right well maybe the collapse of the environment that might be a yeah, problem that's too. a pretty bad one and i think here is the thing the um, like the for example the joe rogan situation that has been in the news uh, by the time eh, my guess is that rogan is big enough that by the time we release this is still gonna be part of the discourse but yeah. um so protest neil young pulling the music johnny mitchell pulling the music uh, by the way both fantastic musicians uh, a few other people protesting primarily on the idea that Rogan has been pushing misinformation by platforming uh, some doctors that were kind of anti-vax and things like that. Which amazingly, two, three years earlier, he was totally vaccine. Sure. sure. That was more when the kind of Jenny McCarthy was just saying. Right. But there was a time. Yep, yep, yep. This is the switches that are weird. Yeah. The, um, so what happens next is that because there is this backlash on Rogan for essentially for what he has been doing with his podcast when it comes to controversial issues, then we move into the, okay, let's find a way to get him. So people going through the archives and finding him saying either racially dubious things or using words that are considered highly racist and stuff like that. Now, that's where it gets a little sketchy because it's like first most of the context in which the words were saying the context made sense that he wasn't endorsing it or attacking somebody right there were some that really sucked right yes. i mean the planet of the apes joke was just That's... flat out terrible yes there was the one take that i don't know what the fuck he was thinking when he had this line about oh this is some dude who has uh the son of like i forget he was a black father and white mother or vice versa but he was like that's perfect. You got the best of both worlds, the body of a black man and the brain of a white man. Ooh. And I was just like, holy shit, what did you just... You know, that is awful. Rogan has apologized for that. He said, yeah, that was fucking stupid. I don't know what the hell was going through. I said damn shit. Those were terrible takes. Okay, that's honest, right? It's yeah. like uh, you... Like, do I think Rogan is racist? No, I don't think Rogan is racist. Or worse, yeah, like I started getting in my email, like petitions to 
deplatform white supremacist Joe Rogan. I'm like, dude, have you ever dealt with actual white supremacists? Obviously not. Let's not. <laughs> and I think that part too was like some of those takes were in context made sense. Some were terrible and he said, yeah, I fucked up. That was terrible. And my guess is that you live in a culture in which there are strands of racism still around. It gets stuck in your brain. You say some dumb shit. You recognize that that was dumb shit, that that is being racist, even though you may not be a racist person in the way you behave in day-to-day life. And then you say, okay, lesson learned. That was fucking stupid. That's fine. You know, I mean, com- like jokes about uh, racial stuff. Everybody does it all the time. You're just supposed to do it about your own group for the sake of not pissing off everyone else and a little more careful when you're dealing with other groups. That's probably the way you want to go about it. But, you know, the thing is that one, that wasn't the issue with Rogan. You know, that and that to me is like dumb because you are taking there are real issues to be addressed and suddenly you turn it into a political hit job where it's like And it was effective because that's a quick you know, that's press the button and oh, off yeah. it goes. And just to think, you know, I don't know, was he thirteen hundred shows, seventeen it's some sort of incredible number. All recorded live, all right. sent out live. I could challenge anybody to get thirty five hundred hours of their flappity mouths over the past ten years. And just dig through. You're going to find something where you slipped up. I mean, it was funny. Not in a hateful way. No, no, no. It was funny how that worked. Because it's like, for example, Don Winslow, who's a fantastic writer, but damn, you know, on his political stuff, he hammers very on the black and white, we are right, they are stupid kind of thing. He does it from a leftist standpoint. So many of the people will be discussing today do it from a right-wing standpoint. But at the end of the day, still this factional tribal game. Actually, I don't even use tribal because I like the word tribal, more like factional game. Yeah. The, um, he, when uh, The Rock was in support of Rogan, uh, then uh, Winslow started hammering on, hey, did you see how he was being racist here and there and there? And so The Rock was like, oh, lesson learned. Undo, Sorry, undo. undo. <laughs> and of course, within five seconds, people pulled out clips on uh, The Rock making like fake Chinese accents in a way that was pretty racist sounding and and the point being people have made dumb jokes all over the time like there's the overwhelming majority of people at one point or another have made dumb quasi-racist jokes there's a difference between that level which you say yeah that was stupid let's move on versus being actually racist there are two different scales there and when you start mixing them i think that's exactly the problem we're talking about where suddenly oh it's racism everyone is racist so if everyone is racist then it stops meaning something when you actually deal with the real yeah 100 racism you know what i mean so that's where to me the criticism went a wire because he missed the point so when i say that People on the who are hardcore left, not everybody, of course, but many people are hardcore left who now they are invested in Joe Rogan is the devil, the literal devil. There's no one worse in the world and he needs to be crucified on the public square. In the the whole world. So when I say stuff like that, that part of people who listen are like, well, now you're justifying white supremacist Joe Rogan. And it's just like, okay. (laughs) <laughs> On the other hand, so now, of course, if I do that, I got all the right-wing folks going like, oh, you see, Daniele got it right, you know. he's uh, he. Of course, as soon as I open my mouth in another way, I lose all that. Which Traitor. Is, which, and I'm going to go into it because I'm going to hammer hard on that part. But, like, I think the point mm-hmm. being, there's a real simple formula for sensitive political discussion if you want a lot of support which is take a position make it absolutely extreme get rid of any kind of nuance and you have 50% of the people in your corner yeah especially you know. if you sprinkle a little good, good bit of hate on there yeah. on top of it then 50% really- will hate you 50% will love you problem solved if you try to go the Dan Carlin approach which unfortunately I hate to you know that's life that's that's what we do, that's Taoism, that's a recognition that life is slightly more complicated than this uh, kindergarten black and white view of the world. Everybody hates you. 
Oh, one side and the other, they will happily unite and say, you suck, you are right about this part, but of course you are wrong when you criticize my side. And it's like, okay, well, so on specifically on the, on the problematic aspects of uh, Rogan and where the right defends him, which is funny, again, because Rogan was... Uh, 2016 he was endorsing Bernie Sanders you know what I mean so he's like in that sense as left as he gets so how do we end up with the fact that Rogan is now a darling of uh, right wingers everywhere um, that deserves an exploration because it's not a simple one by the way for the record let me state the existence of this podcast is owed to Rogan. History on Fire is owed to Rogan. So much of the stuff I've been able to do is owed to the fact that he had me on when he didn't have to. So I'm eternally grateful for that. Having said that, I do think that he royally fucked up in more ways than one in the way he has handled things over the past few years when it comes to sensitive topics. So what is what's wrong, you know? Rogan started out with a model that was work perfectly. Smoke weed with friends, shoot the shit about everything and in a creative, funny way. Most of it worked really well. Great. That worked. Yeah, everybody loved it. He extended that model when he started inviting people like me who are not circle of friends but we're like you know still the topics were not ultra controversial they were on a wide range of issues uh, fun and games great still work if it does that with celebrities right you don't need to have a super you, you can have fun and chit chat about life the universe and have fun with them stop working when he started when he started inviting super controversial guests on yeah. super controversial issues uh, I think when Milo showed up was the one that was really like... Yeah. And, well, and, and that and the long, long list of other guests. Yeah. What was the problem with some of these guests and with the way Joe approached it? Um, the guests were mostly... I'm not saying all the guests. I'm saying the ones that particularly focus on culture wars issue and politics and all of that. They are mostly people who make a living demonizing the other side whatever the other side is, right? He had a shit ton of right-wingers, but he had some left-wingers too. Usually, for the most part, not all, but most of them make a living as partisans' hacks, as people who are just going to say, "Can all the problems of the world are tied to the left or they are tied to the right. It's all about... Now, why do I think that's a bad idea? Because I think that's people who make it their living to pour gasoline on the fire, I don't think I want to give them three hours in front of 11 million people. Unless, if you choose to do that... Counterpoint? Yeah. yeah. You need to ask hard questions. You need to stop being the friendly Joe's playing and essentially most of the time agreeing with most people in front of him. Not always, but a lot. You cannot put out three episodes a week or for whatever many because you need to study a lot. You need to really research what these people are going to bring to the table because if they say something that's utter bullshit, you need to be able to check it in real time. And they're coming prepared. Yeah. They've got their list. It's their whole books. life. That's what they have talked about for their whole life. Yeah. So again, you don't have to do it if the topics are not ultra controversial, but if they are, you kind of need to. Or you don't want to prepare and do all the hard work, which is fine. Get two people with opposite viewpoints. You have them check each other because they are both making a living on it from different sides and you play neutral moderator. Yep. I don't think that's the best way, but it works at least. It's like you are not the one responsible for pushing a certain, you know, you are essentially playing a referee. Or, and what I would consider the ideal model, you get you want to discuss controversial topics, great. Get the Dan Carlin of the world as guest. Get people like that who are able to not demonize one side of the political spectrum, who are able to look at things as this is true, however, let's not forget about this. Which does not mean being... Uh, middle of the road uh, make no choices kind of guys 
Carlin, for example, clearly, if you talk about politics, I'm always blown away when people are surprised by this. Carlin is clearly way more left than his right, but not even by a little bit. He's strongly left in a lot of ways. However, he's smart. So he does so in a way that's not like we have all the right answer and those guys are idiots. It's like, no, there are lots of problems that we can solve. There are some grievances that the other side of the political spectrum where they are right. There's even some solutions where occasionally they bring. So he has a, he makes his choices, but he has a more nuanced view of things. Invite those guests, get those guys to have the complex conversations. If you do that, with 11 million listeners or however million people are listening, you can really kill the crap that journalism has become today and replace it with something a hundred times better. You kill the Fox News and NBC talking points trying to slant it because you present nuance and you make nuance in a way that's appealing to the public you make it something that actually in a contest in which people are absolutely hating each other over tweets in, among family members, you do the opposite of putting gasoline on the fire. You actually help uh, bring people together in a more re- for more reasonable discussions. Then you are the hero of the world who's doing something fantastic, who's having a huge positive impact in the way the world is going to go. You know, that's the way I look at it. Wow. What if that actually worked, though? So if you did get sort of these talking heads discussing and finding common yeah. ground, aren't their factions just going to be like, oh, you're turning on us too now? You'll definitely are going to have that. I mean, you do have, that's why Dan Carlin does not do common sense anymore. Yeah. Right? He's like, I want to deal with all that crap because I'm going to make everybody mad, regardless of what I say, because I'm not going to say what they want to hear because I'm not going to be screaming factional talking points. However, if somebody like Rogan start making that a priority, start making that, come on, guys, are we still stuck in kindergarten over the black and white bullshit or can we behave like adults here? I think that could help shift the culture a little bit. I think that could help pull back from absolute extremism a lot of people, make them be like, huh, Maybe we could do that. Now, he would lose some listener, but, you know, you lose some listener no matter what, regardless of. But I think that would have a tremendously positive impact on uh, society. The approach of uh, having people who make a living demonizing the other side and not really fact-checking them that much and letting them do... Did I say fact-checking them or fact-checking? I was trying to say... That's a little different. Yes. Uh, What's going on over there? I think that's a problem. That is uh, uh, the exact opposite of having the positive impact. It's uh, it's where you contribute to pour more gasoline on the fire, regardless of what your intentions were. You could have had the best intention, the end result is still. And so, okay, that brings the question that I was trying to get to. How do you go from Rogan endorsing Bernie Sanders and being very lefty on many ways to being the darling of right-wingers everywhere so here is what happens. You do something that's politically dubious, that's clearly favoring one side. So you have a whole bunch of right-wingers on that you don't check when they make a rather outrageous claim and let them go on for three hours and they are your good friends kind of vibe. Yeah. Bunch of people on the other side, on the left, are going to be like, hey, what the hell? Uh, you're angering them. So they start coming after you. Now you're like, hey, guys, I was in agreement with you a lot of things. Why do you come after me so hard? Even though maybe they are coming, maybe in some cases they are actually coming after him for legitimate reasons. But the way it comes across is really like harsh and uncompromising and critical of everything that you are. It's like, whoa, 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 slow down. So now the so, shields go up. So now you, the shield goes up on one side. In the meantime, the other side is saying, oh, my enemies are attacking him, so you are our brother. Please come on over. So if you are Rogan and for, and you don't see that dynamic happening, so you say, well, fuck you then. You guys are criticizing me overly harshly for either no reason or minimal reason. or So I'm going to go even harder in that direction. 
because I'm getting support away and these people like me and I want to do my thing and I don't respond well to be chastised. Yeah. So now, even more on the left, you're going to get a backlash. And again, partially justified, partially not, which is going to push him even further into the hands of right-wingers. We're going to say, Rogan, we, always, we are always down with your ideas about legal drugs and, yeah, embrace the gays, all of that. Clearly, no. Obviously, everything that Rogan has stood up for is something that pissed them off, anti-organized religion, all sorts of stuff, right? But suddenly, it's like, hey, enemy of my enemy is my friend, and these damn left-wingers are essentially pushing the biggest media personality in the world today in our arms. Oh, hell yeah. Thank you. That yeah. was nicely done. Grab some ivermectin and let's head over. So... That's also one of the reasons why being self-righteously mad tend to have the opposite effect. Now, it's not just like left-wingers manage the amazing task of pushing Rogan into the right-wing camp. <laughs> right-wingers do it all the time, too. Yeah. Like, i give you an example. One of the reasons why I feel... Um, like, look at the Jordan Peterson of the world, right? Yeah. Oh, he stands up about against the evil of extreme uh, woke culture, whatever the fuck they say, right? It's like... No, the dude has done more to propagate that stuff than anyone else on earth. How is it possible? He's criticizing it all the time. Well, the yeah. reactions, yeah. So he took something that was super extreme on one side of the political spectrum, in this case, the left, right? He took like the most batshit crazy extremist leftist position, saying things like, uh, yeah, maybe we shouldn't have uh, the government pull kids from their parents if they don't agree to gender reassignment surgery or whatever the fuck, right? Some were legitimate, some were not. But the point being, he took positions that the overwhelming majority of people on the left did not support. And he casted those positions in a left versus right thing. He started saying, you see this damn leftist. So now you have a bunch of people on the left who don't support those positions. We're like, whoa, whoa, whoa this right-wing asshole is attacking these positions. So maybe we should defend them. I mean, they are complete idiots, the people who are saying these things, but they are on our side. And the right-wingers say that we are all like this anyway. So fuck them. No, it's legitimate to do this. And suddenly that extreme, the batshit crazy aspect of the left start becoming more mainstream because you got to defend it against the batshit right-wingers. Wow. So the guy who actually is condemning something that's barely existent, right? He's taking something that exists maybe 1% of, in 1% of the left, contribute to make it a more mainstream thing. Is the more you attack something in a factional kind of way, the more you ensure that that thing is going to grow among the other faction. Wow, that's 3D chess right there. I don't think he's doing it intentionally. I don't think it's that smart. I think he's just... Uh, Stumbled into it. Yeah, I think it's just basic human stupidity that you take something extreme, you go hard after it, you get some support from one side, and in the process you end up making it grow, which then becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because it justifies you in saying, did you see I told you all along it was a problem? It's like, no, it wasn't when you started. You could have had a mellow, pleasant discussion with people from across the political spectrum saying, look, I understand these issues are legit, but don't you think that when we take them over here, it starts becoming a problem? And most people across the political spectrum would have said, yeah, that's taking it too far. Agreed. No, you don't do that. You say, you all evil left-wingers are all the cause of this stupid shit. And then the shields go up. you got to defend your side. And you contributed to its growth. Wow. So how do I use that to uh, get to my book-burning friends in Mount Juliet, Tennessee? Right. You know, those guys, obviously, are doing the Lord's work. Yeah. So it's... Because um, I would be afraid that all the right-wingers would go, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. You're not going to get the same sort of backlash. They're no, you have to... <laughs> I think that is the problem with stuff that is... Um, if you are dealing with a problem that's real, it's, you know, some ideas are dumb or the solutions suggested are dumb, but you treat it for what it is when it's still small scale, you can nip it in the bud. Right. 
if you start uh, let's put out this fire by pouring a gallon of gasoline over it because liquids kill fire is yeah. like not that kind of attention <laughs> that did not work and I think I think that becomes the problem I mean if um, like a few days ago I had a friend of mine over and he was saying you know what like Jordan Peterson I actually like the few times I heard some of his stuff I like some of the things he said and he mentioned a couple of things and I was like yeah, I see the point. He's not wrong about A, B, and C that you just mentioned. And he was like, well, then what's the problem? Why do you dislike him? You know, you, he's, that's great, right? I'm like, uh, here is how it works. Most shit that exists in the world does not emerge because somebody starts from a terrible premise and doubles down on that terrible premise and most of the time, almost everybody, including the most awful people on earth, start from a partial truth. They zero in on something where they are right, at least to some degree. Or at least reasonable. Yeah. So what's the problem with that? Well, you start from a partial truth. And I say partial because you zero in on that one aspect of the message Ignoring the fact that while that is true, there are also 12 other aspects to the question that complicate it a little bit. And there's this is true. However, you should also consider this. You don't consider all the other aspects. You just zero in on that one partial piece. Then you blow it out of proportion because you make it sound like it's this big, huge deal where it may not be. You do the whole casting it on political lines so you contribute it to grow so that later you can say, hey, did you see it was a big deal all along. Uh, you ignore all evidence that doesn't fit your argument. You push that argument way past where it would be reasonable to push it. And suddenly your original partial truth turned into poison because it has lost all touch with reality. And, uh, and especially if you do it in a factional way where you use it as uh, striking points against another group, well, fuck. Here then comes you the just crowd. destroyed yep. it all. Of course, you become a hero to some people who want you to cast those guys out there as the devil, and you become hated by the others, and you can make millions that way, and blah, blah, blah. But again, I don't think that some people are grifters, straight up. Others, others is a mix. They actually believe this stuff. They are right about something. They forget that it's part of a more complex discussion. They get rewarded for pushing hard on that one little partial truth by a lot of people who support them. Then they say, well, they, I had actually a few other things to say, but clearly this is the one that's getting me the likes and the support. And that's where the opportunist jumps in. I'll like, double down. It. Yeah. And, and that's where you end up with the shit we see today. So that's kind of my issue about... And I think this is at the core of what we discussed when we talked Taoism, that Taoism is all about there's never a partial truth. You focus on the whole all the time. That partial truth is part of a bigger dance, and you always need to fit it within it, where this is true, let's consider this. How do we balance it out? How does this make sense? How do we address it in the most effective way? rather than just pour gasoline over it and feel very self-righteous about saying, you see, I condemn it. I'm so right. I get that, you know, I'm making the Jordan Peterson example and for a few minutes we have been hammering more on right-wingers. Left-wingers do the same shit. Like I just saw, uh, showed to Rich right before we started recording a message I was having with a very pleasant person on Facebook who takes it from a left-wing standpoint. And while I like the guy personally, he's just as dogmatic. At the end of the day, he's just, we are right, they are wrong, we are, everything we say is good, those guys are evil. And I'm like, okay, good luck getting the results. Keep, keep going that path because it's <laughs> clearly delivering, you know, clearly working. Keep doing it. So, where's the solution? That mysterious common ground does not exist? I mean, this is where it gets tricky, right? We have. Um, you know, good old Dan Carlin a few years ago said, fuck you guys. I've tried being nuanced. I'm getting hammered from every direction every time I do it. I'm out. I'm just going to do some history shows here and there. And I'm just going to retire in my little house while I watch the world burn. 
of course, when you look at it on the surface, you go, that's not a good position to take. However, it's pretty damn understandable on one level because it's like, yeah, you do feel that you are pushing against force. Uh, you are an ant fighting a tank and you feel like, let me, I have one life to live. Let me enjoy it and forget it all and let those dumb assholes kill each other. <laughs> yeah. Um, I understand it and to some degree sometime I go for that I'm like I need a break let me just on the other hand I do feel that is extremely important as unpopular as that is to keep hammering on the reminding people that most conversations are more complex than they originally craft them reminding people that even the people they dislike i mean some people are just flat out awful right and there are places where it's beyond redemption and i think we can understand that right there are lines that you need to draw however let's not make the beyond redemption anybody who's not a hundred and one percent in sync with your viewpoint yep because that's what it like for example the guy that i was exchanging emails today i can guarantee you that by now he sees me as a part of the enemy and if we sit down and we list the things that we agree on i think we agree on probably 80 to 90 percent of issues yeah but hey i dare to say that there's another part where i think he may be going too far in a dogmatic direction clearly that means i'm an evil imperialist or something what a traitor yes and i think like yeah let's not do that let's also not do the understandable thing which is the um, i give you an example one that i agree with and support but why that tactics don't work so, for example, on the whole discussion of climate change yep. and the whole discussion of environmental problems, to me, there's no argument that that's at the top of the list of big issues that need to be addressed. So let's say you do scream about climate change and most people ignore it and double down on terrible practices and ideas. So the temptation is to hype it up a little is to go from, hey guys, this is a serious existential threat, this is something that needs to be addressed, let's figure out how, it becomes, look, you guys are damn assholes, pay attention, the world is going to end in 20 years if you don't do something. And he's like, no, the world is not going to end in 20 years. So you take a point that because you are correct and you are not getting the right response, you I figure, ah, what's the harm in hyping it up a little, of making it a little, you know, if I, if I want to make a point that no, maybe Columbus was not a hero and European colonization of the Americas was problematic, let's just sweep under the rug any case in which native cultures could have had anything mildly problematic. Let's just paint them as absolute saints because that will make my case harder if these people murdered a bunch of saints. You know, it makes my case harder if the war ends in 20 years, then they will have to agree and pay attention. Except that you get busted because <laughs> you tweak things a little bit. And now your whole argument lost credibility. So it's not just that the 20 year deadline or that uh, uh, Native Americans were not all saints, collapse now it goes back to oh then columbus was right fuck those guys you see they used to do this thing that i don't like so clearly no problems with european colonization or no problem with uh, climate change it's all fake it's not real it, clearly it's all bullshit and we must uh, and now they have evidence and ignore it or or my favorite is good old jordan peterson i thought it was a parody i saw that clip when he took climate change on rogan podcast lately oh. i thought it was a joke Climate, climate change, climate is everything. You can't change everything, so there's no way to measure it. It doesn't exist. But I was like, what did you just say? It was just embarrassing. I mean, that was like somebody on math on the street corner kind of thing. <laughs> you know, I was just like, Jesus, wow. Okay, that's where we are. Isn't that terrifying that that's actual talking points from somebody, though? Yeah. And then fracking is great and <sighs> all of that. And it was all like... And so I think that's the problem, that sometimes, forget if you're wrong, but if you're right, the temptation to hammer down in an absolutist way is such that you think you are doing a service to the cause, 
you are actually doing the exact opposite. You are empowering the counter argument. You are empowering the other side. You are. Uh, that's why Trump uh, was Antifa's best friend, and Antifa could not have been paid enough money to bring enough votes to Trump that way. You know what I mean? It's like there are tactics that you use when you are fighting something that you consider an evil that actually deliver results and tactics that are purely to pat yourself on the back and say, did you see how I was screaming at something terrible? And so I think that's where it goes back to, is like effectiveness. What's If you identify something as a problem, what strategy can you employ that actually can address that problem in a way that convinces many people as possible? Um how can Do you, you focus only on your side at that point, though? Because satisfying the other side seems to be the most difficult thing. Or are you trying to chip away a little bit at the people you are I mean, I think not going to be in agreement with? I think both. Yeah. I think is uh, what you're trying... Because ultimately, even your side, the super extreme absolute disposition on your side is going to hate you. It'd be crazy, too. Yeah, They are going to hate you just mildly less than the extreme side position on the other side because they are so stuck and sucking on the teeth of dogma day and night that they anything less than full-on agreement means you're a traitor you need to die that's why like look at like shit like communist regimes have killed more leftists than probably any nazi you know what i mean is like they have done a fantastic job of yeah but you don't embrace version x y2 to the third power for seven of communism so you're an evil or level lefty not a hundred percent communist you're an evil so the point being people who are addicted to dogma are your enemies regardless of which side they are on you know it doesn't even matter it's uh, on with one you agree on a few more issues than the other, but they are both scary and terrible people. Non-thinking with blinders in place. Yeah. And by terrible, I don't mean innately evil. It's like they have been seduced by a model that produced terrible results and is, uh, is a virus. It's... Uh, I picture the scene uh, from Lord of the Rings during the Council of Elrond where there's the ring whispering in the back and they're all screaming at each other, never trust an elf. I would die before I would let one of you take, you know. It's working perfectly. And I think there was a Bob Marley line in the song Positive Vibration that say, if you get down and you quarrel every day, uh, you're saying prayers to the devil, I say. And that's kind of where it's at, right? It's like, doesn't even matter what you're doing for or if you're right or wrong. You are producing poison. You are spreading poison. And ultimately, you are not bringing any solution to the table that's actually going to work. You're just getting people on one side to pat you on the back and say, thank you for standing up for us when in reality you are doing anything but because you are not producing results. Is our capacity to interact with so many more people a big part of the, where we're at right now? Do you yeah. Think the whole I mean, it's so much easier if you sit down with 30 people and yeah. have face-to-face -face conversations. The problem is it takes time, it takes energy. And after a ton of time and energy, you have come to an agreement of a workable compromise with 30 people. And you have like eight, nine billion more to go. It's just not quite as easy when you're just putting flyers on somebody's windshields. No. Because... <laughs> Keeps it a little more local. Or if you yell on Twitter about how you guys who don't agree with me are all a bunch of assholes. It's like, yeah, that usually is a really convincing argument. That that really helps it's getting them to it. see your <laughs> point of view, you know? is um, So I really think that as... Um, it may be a losing fight because dogma is popular, nuance is not, and not just today, it's never been, because nuance requires you to think harder, To it's more complex, it requires more effort than dumb adherence to dogma. But as much as it may be the sticking with Tolkien, the long defeat, you know, as much as it may be an unwinnable thing, to me it's like, yeah, what's the alternative? Uh, there are two. You join the we versus them approach and become a blind supporter of dogma, but at least I got some support in the process. Or you go the Carlin route and say, I give up. I'm out. 
you know, let me enjoy my little life in my space and I don't want to deal with any of it. Those are the other two choices. Now, I understand the Carlin one and I don't condemn it. The Dogma one, I do condemn it. Uh, ideally, I would like to push for a third approach. I think that would be that would be the way to go. Well, we certainly need it. Now, is it easy? No. Is it uh, likely to produce amazing results? No, and yet nothing else will. So this thing that gives you 1% chance of producing results is better than the, all the other approach that give you 0%. So I would rather try the 1%. Well, funky music means one thing. That's the end of another fiery episode yeah. of the Drunken Dallas podcast. But I, I didn't think anything that was out of bounds. No. We got problems and we need to fix it. And these yeah. are things that need addressing. And I don't know. Anybody who gets their feelings hurt about it just needs to relax. Yeah. I mean, it's they are controversial issues, so I get it. But that's why people get passionate about it. That's why I get passionate about it. On that happy note, um, I would say, shall we wish the good folks a good day? I would indeed. See y'all next time. Switch. D B O L E L L I. Good shit. R I C H I M O N and the numeral one. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Dallas Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as they come out. You can keep track of Danielli at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N and the numeral one. We'll see you all soon. Woo! I don't want to hear this. No, you don't. In questo cazzo, in questo caso, le providenza di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, huh? Oh, man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs> this was great. Fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. I have nothing against chicken other than the fact that they are ugly and weird and strange. We've been yeah, having a great hour nice. here. Dun, dun, dun. Completely got lost. Are we doing the outro or the intro? We're outro. Oh, we're outro. Okay, sorry. So that's so. Let's continue. Did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and uh, uh, your accent? It just whatever that movie is you were trying to tell can me. Can you about. translate for me, please? I believe the word was tombstone. Yeah, that one exactly. <laughs> just as I was saying, you know, Tombstone. <laughs> now, most everybody thought. <coughs> sorry. Well. <coughs> We'll do a cut on there. Or not. That was something else. <laughs> no, that's a bit too powerful. <laughs> what do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you. Get back to work. Funky. Podcasting. It's like radio, but you can cuss. Wow.